So breathing's you're, thro- a big you're throwing deal. a lot of uh, names out there. Quick, quick things: Heron Brew Reflex, Vegas Nerve. It can be overwhelming. Here's the thing that out out of all the people that I worked with, including myself, when you practice your breathing, you feel better emotionally, uh, psychologically, uh, from a hormonal standpoint, from an energy standpoint. But wouldn't you say this is the last thing people tend to do until they actually it clicks in their mind? Well, if you watched Boji, which is your dog Boji and my dog Floyd, when they're kind of relaxing, laying down at night, the last thing they kind of do is just take this big, huge diaphragmatic breath, and then they basically go. So our animals do it, we do it, but many times we were over-breathers, we breathe too fast, breathe too much with the chest. So breathing is a skill, and it's a practice. And we know with our kids, it's one of the fastest ways to calm our kids down. So it's just a, it's a skill that we have to practice. And again, breath work's a big deal. Why do you think with, uh, you know, you got the books and the podcasts, still the skill of breathing is so poor. Why? Because we don't practice it. And, and then with the amount of stressors that are in the world, then you get even worse and worse. For, and again, I used the hair and brewery reflexes. I used the vagus nerve because that's the science. If I'm breathing too quickly, the hair and brewery reflexes kick in, and that stimulates all your stress hormones. Right, cortisol. So now you're like, okay, really, what, what's the science behind breathing? Well, am I, if, I'm not, if I'm breathing through my diaphragm, through my nose and slowing it down, it stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system that slows everything down. So here's the science behind breathing. And sometimes I think when people understand what's behind the curtain, they're like, hmm, is that why my resting heart rate goes down? Is that why my resting blood pressure goes down? Is that why my brain waves start to feel? Is that why my gut gets healthier? Yeah. <laughs> so, so we have to just understand a little bit more about the power of breath, and then we need to practice it. All right, as we record this podcast on a rainy, dreary day, we're going to talk about something pretty um, common. It's pretty heavy, um, but I think the, it needs to be talked about more as, as more and more people struggle with it. And so title of this is How to Manage Anxiety and Depression with Lifestyle Changes. Uh, this is Matt Johnson at, in the Ontario Living Studio, and I got Chris, my father, in to kind of be the the thought leader in the space, but by no means are we trying to diagnose or give people all the advice in the world. I think just trying to give people some hope, some options, and some uh, talking points and ways to think about anxiety and depression and mental health, maybe in a different light, as this continues to be some of the fastest um, growing problems we face in our in our society. So when we get into this, I think there's a lot of ways we can go. I think you came up with three mindsets. Is that where you want to start today in the, with the three mindsets? No, I think I, I, I think we should just kind of talk a little bit about the definition of, you know, there's a lot of mental health, as you mentioned, challenges out there for everybody. But um, really kind of just kind of overarching def- definition of anxiety and depression. What, what is that? Yeah, what is it? Well, I think we try to make it really, I mean, it's, this is a very complicated subject but we want to make this pretty simple today um, of what really the takeaway is that people don't have to 
cross this bridge alone and they don't have to be by themselves and they can get some help. But number two is really understanding them. There's amazing things you can do to help with anxiety, which we talk a lot about is the fear of the future and depression. We're kind of paying attention of, you know, what's going on in the past. And so so if you can anxiety get, is fear of the future. You're anticipating something in the future. Mm-hmm. Yep. Lots of fear, lots of the unknown. The sky's falling and it's easy to kind of go down that pathway. And depression is, is dwelling in the past saying I should have, could have, or lots something happened to me. Yep. Going back in time and saying, Hey, you know, and then the next thing you know, we're out of balance or we're not present and we're not present. Cause you really can't be in either one, but we're not trying to diagnose or fix anything today, but we're going to throw some areas that I think people can do to help them feel better. Because I think everybody gets out of balance. We talk a lot about polarity management where the body gets out of balance. And so, yeah, balance is a boring word to me. Nobody, nobody truly wants balance if they want some there, type of And result. there's no such thing. Really what we're trying to recognize is when we really get sideways in one area or the other. And I think people just have to, if you're not sleeping or you're not doing this, you just got to step back and say, okay, before I start down the path, really what's causing these symptoms that I'm addressing? Again, back to anxiety, the fear, the depression. I'm having trouble with my mood. Um, so I think that's that's really the direction we want to go is a little beginning of what it is and then really what can you do, what can you do, what can we do, what can I do to manage some of these things we're dealing with today. So the, I think a good – so when we define anxiety and depression, it's really really not that simple because they, they have similarities and they can have an ebb and flow in their own space. So you can be anxious and depressed. You can be – only anxious and you can only can be only depressed and it could be 90 percent of the time you feel great and 10 percent of the time you don't feel great so it's got some ebb and flow um, and I think the reason it's got ebb and flow is because the true definition of anxiety and depression is just not being present and so anxiety tends to be something in anticipation of the future that hasn't happened and depression tends to be something that has happened in the past or you interpret it a certain way. So I think that's a first lesson of understanding the solutions right in front of us if we look at it of how to be more present, how to be more in the moment. Now, you do want to plan, you do want to prepare. If I'm going over to your house later today, I'm going to try to plan and prepare. When do I need to leave? Which direction am I going to go? Do I need to pick anything up? That's not the problem. The problem isn't thinking about the future. The problem is when you create harm in the future. So if I'm anxious about driving because I'm fearful of getting in a car accident, I've created harm in a situation that hasn't started. And you can kind of take that through our society where everything is so not in front of us. It's on the internet, it's social media, it's the news, it's the stock market, it's the next virus, it's what my kids have to do to get into college in 10, 15, 20 years, or might be what my kids are gonna do in college and they're not born yet. So this is something where the speed of information and technology is off the charts, and yet we have less skills to be where we currently are. And there's a saying of be where your feet are. And that's exactly what we need to learn how to do is to be in the space that we're at. And what you'll find 
and we've been with a lot of thought leaders in this space, is when you're in the moment of right now, there's really not that much pain. It's what we do with our thoughts and our mind to take us to that point. So I think that's a great way to start of the definition of anxiety and depression and, uh, and working backwards to how do we, we solve it. So let's go into the three mindsets you have for solutions. Well, I think the first mindset is just understanding you know, how to balance or get back to, into understanding the nervous system, which is stress. So we've talked a lot about stress many times on this podcast, but it's a wrecking ball. And it's a wrecking ball for many things, including mental health. So I think the first thing is understanding that the sympathetic nervous system, that's the gas pedal. And the parasympathetic nervous system is the brake. And again, are we understanding a little bit? So what I'm, the sympathetic nervous system is on, I'm probably going to be more fearful, more worry. Everything's speeding up. I'm going to have trouble sleeping. I'll have trouble with pretty much anything. And then the sympathetic, the parasympathetic nervous system Everything's slowing down, and man, it could slow down so much that I have trouble getting out of bed. And so really the understanding is understanding the nervous system and how do you bring that back. And a big part of understanding stress is physical. So if we feel that we're threatened, it doesn't matter what's real or not. We just had a huge thunderstorm come through here, and there was hail, and there was wind, and, and there's been tornadoes all over the Midwest, but again, we can really go down into that rabbit hole or we can reframe that conversation and say, hey, what is, what is the boogeyman? How hard is it? What can we say to ourselves? So I think step number one when you're looking at the nervous system is recognizing that stress is physical. And number two is can we reframe our conversations with ourselves? I All think right, that's so, a big deal. So mindset number one is we have to balance the nervous system, understanding where that balance comes from with the the gas and the brake, the sympathetic, parasympathetic. Um, and the way that you do that, you were saying, uh, is twofold. So what was number one? So the, the, the first one really, again, is reframing conversations. So that's me going, I'm going over to your house later, and I'm going to reframe that driving is safe. Yeah, and I think if you keep drilling down, Many times we it's not as scary as we think. So that's the that's the that's the hardest part that most people don't really talk much about is the reframing, the conversations we have with ourselves. We have about fifty thousand thoughts a day, and many times we repeat about ninety percent of them. So are those ninety percent of our thoughts are they going in the rabbit hole that's driving us down here, or am I really kind of catching myself that hey, it's not as bad as we think? I like the reframing um, mindset of. There's abundance and then there's scarcity. So abundance is, eh, I lost that business today. Doesn't matter. There's more business. Scarcity is lost that business. My business is gonna crush and crumble. Uh, I'm gonna lose my house. I'm gonna lose my car. And so, I think that's a great way to look at reframing. Is do you come from it from the abundance standpoint of? There's more opportunity. There's, there will be tomorrow. I'll do do my best. Or the scarcity. If I screw up one time, the, everything will crumble. And I think too. Again, if you really went deep, many times I'll, I was in Boston last week speaking, and one of the questions came up about mental health and stress, and whatever. And so we talked about reframing, and I said, just just think about this for a minute. 
what are the three things that keep you awake at night? And a couple of people came up to me later and they thought, I never thought of it that way because I, the, these are the three things that are common in the conversations I have with myself. So that is huge because then from there we move into some strategies that you can physically work on to help balance that nervous system. So the first one is reframing your thoughts. It's easier said than done. It's a skill. Dr. Phil talked about it in a couple weeks ago. But it's um, very important. And again, it doesn't have to happen overnight. But I find myself sometimes when I start going down that rabbit hole of, you know, things are not going as well as I want them to go. I've never been down a real rabbit hole. (laughs) Where did this saying of rabbit hole come from? But that's for another topic. So number two is how do you balance your nervous system physically? What can you do? Well, I think we've talked a lot about breath, but breath, again, are you actually practicing breath? Because when we're using the nasal passages, when you breathe through the nose, it helps to balance the nervous system. The right nostril is the sympathetic nervous system, and the left nostril is the parasympathetic. So doing alternate nostril breathing is one of the fastest ways to balance your nervous system. And then number two is you're starting using your diaphragm, so I'm taking a deep breath. And the belly is actually expanding. And when I exhale, the belly comes back in. And that stimulates the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is what shuts down the sympathetic nervous system. So there's some real science behind that. And if I'm breathing too rapidly through my chest, I'm going to stimulate the herring brewer reflexes that cause other hormonal stimulation, which now ramps everything back up. So breathing is a big deal. You're throwing a lot of uh, names out there, quick quick things, herring brewer reflex, vagus nerve. It can be overwhelming. Here's the thing that out of all the people that I worked with, including myself, when you practice your breathing, you feel better emotionally, uh, psychologically, uh, from a hormonal standpoint, from an energy standpoint. But wouldn't you say this is the last thing people tend to do until they actually, it clicks in their mind? Well, if you watched Boji, which is your dog Boji, and my dog Floyd, when they're kind of relaxing, laying down at night, the last thing they kind of do is just take this big, huge diaphragmatic breath, and then they basically go. So our animals do it, we do it, but many times we were over-breathers. We breathe too fast, breathe too much with the chest. So breathing is a skill, and it's a practice, and we know with our kids, it's one of the fastest ways to calm our kids down. So it's just a, it's a skill that we have to practice. And again... Breath works a big deal. Why do you think with, uh, you know, you got the books and the podcasts, still the skill of breathing is so poor. Why? Because we don't practice it. And and then with the amount of stressors that are in the world, then you get even worse and worse. For, and again, I used the hair and brewery reflexes. I used the vagus nerve because that's the science. If I'm breathing too quickly... The hearing brewer reflexes kick in, and that stimulates all your stress hormones. Right, cortisol. So now you're like, okay, really, what, what's the science behind breathing? Well, am I, if, I'm not, if I'm breathing through my diaphragm, through my nose, and slowing it down, it stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system that slows everything down. So here's the science behind breathing. And sometimes I think when people understand what's behind the curtain, they're like, hmm, is that why my resting heart rate goes down? Is that why my resting blood pressure goes down? Is that why my brain waves start to feel? Is that why my gut gets healthier? Yeah. <laughs> so, so 
we have to just understand a little bit more about the power of breath, and then we need to practice it. And so without getting crazy, but if you can practice breathing a minute or two every day, every day, and it doesn't cost a dime, now we develop the skill. Yeah, it's, I think it's, if there's one takeaway, everybody, even the most, you know, Dr. Phil, who's been doing it 50 years, any uh, meditation expert is going to tell you it's it's not an end game. It's a continual progress of just getting better and being connected with your breathing and doing it in a way that can become habitual and part of your life versus a chore and something you do only when you have pain. See, the one of the things that when I work with people, anxiety, depression tends to be the focus when people are anxious or depressed. But as we all know, we don't have it 100% every day, all day. And so when we're not depressed or anxious, that's actually when we should be practicing some of these skills as well. So it's not just when you're anxious that you should be working on your breathing. Actually, it becomes hard. If you really don't have the skill, when you're anxious for something, just focusing on breathing can be very hard. Well, when we bring groups in here and you watch them work on their breathing, you can tell the people that have a lot of anxiety because they really don't want to sit still. So it creates a lot of stillness that they're not. It's not. It's, we talked about this last week. It's not comfortable. But it is a skill that takes time that now I have much more control on both sides of the equation. Because you said earlier, you know, many times it's a combination of things. It doesn't always have to be depression or anxiety. Sometimes it's just a combination. But I think breathing is step step number two after we talk about reframing. And then we get into sleep and the power of sleep. Because if people are depressed or they have anxiety or anything in between, sleep is, turns into a real problem. So it's a symptom on both sides of the equation. So if you're not sleeping, that one might be a first step like, hmm, what's going on in my What's going on in my gut? What's going on in my nervous system? Why am I not sleeping? Let's address that. And then, you know, there's a lot of things to help improve sleep. But again, back to the breathing. If you can get the nervous system relaxed, you're going to sleep better. And then the last thing is, I like to call it pace of life. And do you have enough space to handle your pace? Because when my pace of life gets going too much, I probably don't have a lot of time to work on my breathing or eating correctly or just everything's going 900 miles an hour. So now many times I'm anxious so because I don't have enough space to handle the pace of my life. And everybody's in a different place. In so their if you life. have more pace, do you need more space? For sure. But you that's, need to that's it, hard. It's, it's very difficult. And you just need to recognize that rest and rejuvenation is so powerful for overall health, including mental health. So but again, it's, those it's like it's like any engine. If the engine is working so 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 hard, anything, you're gonna you're gonna understand that it does need a period to just kind of cool down. But if if your engine's kind of just going at a very slow pace, it probably can go a long time. But unfortunately, with humans, I think the the people that we work with that have fast fast pace, uh, back to that scarcity, they think they can't slow down at all or they're gonna give something up. But the, it's the opposite. You actually need more space and then you'll be able to handle more. And I think if you're looking to, to really recognize this, do you have much stillness in your world? And when you start bringing stillness, that's why nature is so powerful for overall health, including mental health, is that it allows you to, everything slows down. So 
those are just mindset number one is really recognizing that stress is physical, how you reframe conversations with yourself, the power of breath. If you're not sleeping, is a great indicator that something's out of balance. And then do you have a, is your pace of your life equivalent to the space that you have? And if you don't, you want to create that more and that, space. And those are all in our control. Everything is in our control. And this is, again, the point of this podcast is that we have so many people that reach out to us, but this is not step one. In reality, this needs to start just recognizing that I do have much more control, and this doesn't cost a dime. It just takes practice. All right, let's go into mindset number two. So mindset number two is understanding the power of nutrition and how the food we eat affects so many things because you have the gut-brain connection. And so I think sometimes when we, if you get the nervous system now a little bit more in sync, now we start understanding the power of food and how it can really um, improve the how we think, our mood, our hormones, everything. So again, there's so much conversations about gut health, but when the gut gets healthier, you start producing the right hormones, neurotransmitters in the brain. I mean, the list goes on and on. So, and again, when you look at the enteric nervous system, it's the two brains. It's the it's the gut and the and the traditional brain that they work together. So there's not they're not independent at all. They're completely together. Yeah. So the enteric nervous system is the gut, and it is a nervous system, and that's why it's called the second brain. So we all know about the central nervous system, but very few people have ever heard of the enteric nervous system, which is this uh, neurological wiring that runs through your entire digestive tract. And the amount of cells we have in the gut is incredible. And so the lining of the gut. A lot of communication happening that we take for granted. So if I, you know, I took um, Karis out for pizza yesterday and we we did some daddy-daughter date day, you know, my energy plummeted. I ate this pizza, tasted great. We had fun. Energy plummeted. A lot of communication happening that we sometimes take for granted. I think both me and you recognize the the swings more than maybe the average person because we're more sensitive to it because we probably eat tend to eat cleaner for the most part. So enteric nervous systems, big deal. What do you what 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 can we do, or what are the kind of steps to clean up the gut or have that gut thrive or that garden thrive? Well, I think gut number one is really looking at what are you putting in the gut? Are you putting way too many supplements in your gut? You know, what type of foods, what kind of beverages? That's step kind of one. And then really start bringing in the pre-pro and symbiotic foods. You know, I think so, some, so what are people putting in their gut too much? Let's break that down. Well, I think too much caffeine, energy drinks, alcohol, soda pop. So let's start with caffeine. What's that going to do to your enteric nervous system? Well, it's going to speed everything up. So now we're putting more, you know, gasoline. So, again, the sympathetic nervous system is going to be a little bit more. So a little heat, which creates inflammation. Yep. So, again, Inflammation's we're, we're ramping kill. it up. And, again, we're not trying to beat up caffeine today, but we're just understanding that if I have a lot of anxiety, the last thing I need to be doing is energy drinks and caffeine and soda pops and things like that that are going to. And we're talking long-term things. So sometimes caffeine for some people can give them a, let's just talk in a, someone in a depressive state, um, could give us a, a quick fix. Yeah, and again, back to recognizing 
because everybody has to understand that they're the they're the leaders, the champions of their health. And so really our, our role is trying to allow people the skills to start being able to control, you know, what they're doing. So I think the big one is start recognizing what am I putting in my body? And then I'm, and that number two is am I deficient in nutrients that are causing me to be... Yeah, before we go into that, so beverages are a big deal that can be overlooked. So are you putting too much caffeine, Yeah, I mean, energy look at drinks. some of the... Uh, you know, just sweet drinks we're putting in our body. There's a lot of things out there that you, I was in Boston last week coming through the airports and I'm like, do they just have real water? I mean, there's just so many options. No, they don't. It doesn't exist. Um, Give me real water. The the other thing is alcohol. Alcohol is something that obviously everybody wants to know. It's a sensitive subject for, you know, many people want to know exactly what to do or what kind of drink or what's the optimal stuff to drink. Some people are, you know, no alcohol at all. And then some people are in moderation. I think all you're saying here is the beverages we put in our body tend to be, for the most part, the area that you tell people to kind of cut back the most. Food is, I think, somewhat common sense. For some reason, I think when we drink it, we tend to forget that it does have the same benefit or detriment to our digestive tract. Well, I had a guy that had hiccups for two and a half years and he really didn't pay it, and nobody even really asked him what he was drinking. And so his 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 body, his mind, is he was a wreck, but he was drinking two pots of coffee a day. Now, that's kind of common sense, but then he would drink, you know, three or four alcoholic beverages at night. So you're doing things to get you going and then things to take you down. And, and then when we started changing the beverages he was consuming, not saying we're, you know, anti-alcohol or caffeine, we just really cut everything down, and then we started adding better foods and so his gut his garden started getting healthier hence you know everything started improving and then slowly over time his hiccups disappeared so that's about really paying attention to what you're putting in obviously the crummy food um what's what's next after we've kind of maybe minimize or or have some self-awareness about those things well i think we, really we've been teaching this for a long time but really to start getting and start recognizing what foods are co- closer to the source and then from there, you're going to allow yourself not to be missing too many nutrients. And then we get real specific. So I was talking to uh, um, a person a couple of days ago, and I said, let's bring more magnesium foods into her diet. So this is the oatmeal on the run. This is eating real fruit. Um, this is coconut, cacao nibs. So we really loaded up with this magnesium type breakfast. Yeah, and so the idea around eating closer to the source is when you eat closer to the source, you're gonna have these nutrients that you're missing instead of getting so fixated on what those nutrients are from the get-go, you start to eat more whole foods, they tend to be in there. And they're gonna be much more absorbable than anything in isolation. Um, I was reading something the other day with the craze of intermittent fasting. One of the side effects from people that maybe aren't doing it the right way and or not really aware that this could have other side effects for this change is when you skip breakfast specifically, it's not necessarily how long you fasted, but when you skip breakfast and your your body's active and working, um, you got a more you're more prevalent to have periods of anxiety, and it makes a lot of sense because think about what's happening. You're up. You need energy. Body looks for energy, and it's got stored energy. But then it says, okay, well. What's being consumed? Where's my fuel? Not much fuel coming in, and so I got to go into this hyper alert space. 
and you get you get heated up. You're you're actually hot. Your metabolism's working uh, a lot harder to create this energy, and those are some of the benefits of fasting: metabolism, cognitive ability. You're kind of reducing maybe weight, but from an anxiety standpoint, it's going to raise it. And so I think we've seen a lot of people that are going after whatever, uh, you know, trying to lose weight, trying to cut back, trying to follow whatever they see on the internet. And they forget that there sometimes could be something that also follows it. And that's a big one is anxiety, especially people missing breakfast. So if, if anxiety is something you're struggling with and you're saying, well, some days I have it and some days I don't, something to look at is saying, are you eating breakfast? And if you are, Maybe it's the days that you're eating the crummy breakfast versus the healthy breakfast. Yeah, I mean, we want you to fast. But again, when we exceed many times, then we're going to have problems with things speeding up a little bit too, including, so again, recognizing that if I'm already anxious, I'm already worrying, I'm already having trouble relaxing and sleeping and all this and that, then maybe that's not right for me. It's no different than exercising. You know, some of the people that are the fittest people that I work with the last thing I need to do is to have their intensity of their exercise be higher. I'm trying to calm them down a little bit to help them cool down, relax, and slow down. So, again, just recognizing where you are. And the other thing I think the thing that many people are still missing today, we talk about mental health, whether it's anxiety or depression or anywhere in between, is omega-3 fats. So omega-3 fats, vitamin D3, uh, anything dark green, chlorophyll, these are all amazing nutrients for you know mental health so again those are just some things right off the top eating apples coconut real basic foods but i see so many of my clients over the years are deficient in many things including omega-3s and in some form of chlorophyll yeah and i have a this kind of this bible on on food for healing with whole foods and it's talking about magnesium and how um magnesium is so powerful for healing the heart and calming the body down and green foods are rich in magnesium because this mineral is positioned at the center of every chlorophyll molecule that's maybe too much for everyone but what you need to know is green in color helps the body heal so i think when we start to extract these things or maybe do these things in such isolation we forget that the source has a lot of the answer and um you know, back to omega-3s or chlorophyll or magnesium, these are some things that people are... And that's, really you know, again, back to Epsom salt baths, high in magnesium. So, again, when I'm working with most of my clients, whether it's in speaking or, you know, training or whatever it might be, we're always going back to, you know, things that people are missing. And many times they're missing magnesium. They're missing, you know, omega-3 fats, you know, they're missing chlorophyll. So we're really, we're, we're going after some of those big things after we've kind of cleaned things up. All right. Anything else there uh, from the digestive, the gut health? You, you know, we can go into microbiome. And I think you're talking about pre and probiotics. Anything you want to mention on that? I think there's this understanding that, you know, a prebiotic is the soil, a probiotic is the seed, and a symbiotic means both. So when you start eating more live foods, your need for other supplements is going to start disappearing because now you're creating that nice ecosystem for the gut and that gut is your garden so really that's the key there and you know you doing apples lemon in your water these are really some th simple things sauerkraut that's in the refrigerated section cacao nibs coconut 
these are all really good nutrients for the gut. Okay, what's mindset number three? So mindset number three, we got to start with the sun. And even though it's cloudy today here in Michigan in the spring, but just getting outside on a consistent basis, I think we saw a lot of this during COVID when people were locked in and their offices in their bedroom or whatever it might be. But we need to get outside on a regular basis and look up into the sky. We need to get some type of a sunlight and that is so powerful. So I think if you're struggling with mental health, get yourself a daily dose of sunlight every day. That's, that's step number one. Number two is the power of nature. I can't say this enough. I mean, I'm, I feel blessed that I live in a nature preserve. But when I feel like I'm a little off, you know, I'll take Floyd outside in the woods. And, <clears throat> and just amazingly in 15 minutes, you know, I'm not... I'm just paying attention to the nature and the sounds or lack of sounds. And so I think nature brings us all back. And I think sometimes wherever you live in the world today, you know, we get, we get, you know, we're not around nature enough. And when we're bringing nature back into the world, you know, I tell you this all the time. If at some point in my career, I could go in the mountains of Colorado for six months, I think you could probably heal most things. And a big part of that was getting people outside and in the sun and getting them out in nature. And then from there, we got to go into movement. Because if we could put movement in the bottle, motion creates positive emotion. I truly believe that that's a great place to start. And if a person, as I mentioned earlier, is has a lot of anxiety, I need to create movements that are a little bit more restorative and relaxing if people are having trouble getting out of bed they're depressed i need to get them moving so if you feel like hey there's one thing i can do my mom used to tell us all the time you know quit moping around the house get outside and go play so i think that's the i think my mom was i think all moms were right when they were talking about that but again those are some really simple things and a big part of movement is creating play because when we play we're in the moment when I work on my balance, I'm in the moment. So there's a lot of things you can do from a movement standpoint. When they're moving and they're breathing and they're balancing and they're playing, these are all things that allow the mind completely to reset and kind of get back to, you know, homeostasis. And I think that's what we all struggle with sometimes. So using some things to really get present. So the sun, circadian rhythm, you're going to know that the sun's out. Or, you know, yesterday the... Uh, I don't know if it was a full moon, but I woke up at like five with the moon flashing. Those are all good things because it creates its cues, you know, it's it's clues. So artificial light and the you know office lighting, these things are fake, and so the body gets very confused. So, kind of setting ourselves up there, and then. And I think too, again, spring's coming depends on where you're at in this in the world today. But, you know, one of the things we did as a kid, and I used to talk a lot about this, but my mom would lay us on a blanket. And we would look up into the clouds and we just stare up into the clouds. And I still remember this today. I was like, it's so relaxing. And so is as that, is our, there an app for that now? Probably. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But if like as as our grandkids get older, we're going to do more of that stuff. We're going to sleep outside in a tent. I mean, there's going to be lots of things like that. But I think as the spring's coming here, if you haven't done this in a long time, get a blanket and lay on the blanket and look up in the sky. Yeah, again, the, these things are powerful and they're missing. So sun, nature, uh, movement, 
play, these are all things that are being removed. So the sun, we got lights, we got apps. You know, there's uh, even fake sun lamps you can get. Not saying they're not, they're good things, but it's not the real deal. And then you got nature, you know, people are creating these false spaces that are more nature kind of feeling. So we, we're trying to kind of fake it when we can just kind of go out there and, and do it. And then movement, so many different ways to move. And we get so fixated on, well, am I doing the, the right program, the right sets, the reps? Are you just moving your body? And then, yeah, pl- and and pa- then play. And let's, let's pause it for that for just a second, because I think you just hit a, hit a really powerful spot that we got to get out of the mindset of always of what movement does for the body. Here's my abs. Here's my arms. Here's this. My glutes. Glutes, whatever. What the number one benefit, in my opinion, movement does is what it does for my mind. It calms my mind, relaxes my body. So even if you only have five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever just to move, it's really what it's going to do for your mind. Well, and, and then I'm going to throw it back on you. As, as you were a bodybuilder around a bunch of bodybuilders that were doing a lot of hours, specific movements let's just say i'm working on my my lats because my lats don't wing out enough for my pose they're gonna get hyper focused on doing lat movements right which then probably creates anxiety that i can't miss a back day and da 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 so in society as as exercise and strength training specifically has boomed thanks to social media and the look we're going after again one of the downsides of this is you get too focused on the look and it can create this this well, other you get, other side you of it you get focused on okay i gotta i gotta do you know 50 uh handstand push-ups before i leave the gym or i gotta bench press you know x or whatever it might be we get so fixated on the reps and the sets and the amount of weight and all of the workout reality is, let's, if we could just step back, if I look back in my time, I would say most of the bodybuilders I w- worked out with, it was a really extremely anxious crowd. They were going 900 miles an hour. They couldn't relax. Everything's super intensity. And then if you look back, you know, they've I gotten was, out of their, they've, they've got too much in their thought versus just allowing their body yeah, to. Yeah, again, move. we're not taught any of this stuff. We weren't. So I always remember when I was overtraining for a contest. My first symptom was I, I was having trouble sleeping because I was overtraining. So my sympathetic nervous system was going too hard. And so as I, as I competed more, I always started recognizing that, okay, I'm at, the, I'm at the edge. I need to back it down. I need to take a day off. I need to work on my breath. I need to do some of these things. So, and I got much more skilled, and I got in better shape, believe it or not, as time went on, doing less. And today I look at my training and but you got to let go to do that. You got to let go. Yeah. I don't need to bench press X or I don't need to squat X. Or some days you can and some days you don't have to. Oh, for sure. And it's not saying we're not doing that stuff. Yeah. But recognizing that maybe what I really need is more restorative movements today or whatever. So it's recognizing that. All right. So as we wrap up, again, a very deep, heavy conversation, trying to create some optimism, some control. Three big mindsets. Number one is we got to balance the nervous system. Stress is physical. Number two, what you eat and your gut is going to have a role in how you think and feel. It's the enteric nervous system. So the food we eat, the drinks we put in our body, 
the supplements we put in our body uh, do have a, a big role. And then number three is, I'm just going to call this kind of letting go and getting back into nature. Sun, outside, daily movement, creating play. What do you want to wrap up with as we, we talk about managing anxiety and depression with lifestyle change? Well, I think we, we kind of mentioned this at the very beginning, but you know, in our world today, you, you don't have to cross these bridges by yourself. You don't have to do this alone. And so if you're feeling like I'm, I am struggling a little bit with this, you know, reach out to somebody and, um, and really get back to the basics of what we talked about today. Believe it or not, um, if I was trying to help my mother or my kids or whatever, I would be walking through this template. That's where I would begin. And not saying that pharmacology isn't a, an option for people, but I think really you're never going to get away from this because you always got to look at what's going, what's the source of the problem, not what's the symptom. So I think there's some gold nuggets in here today, but you don't have to cross these bridges alone, and you really have to understand that these are all habits that take one step at a time. We don't, you don't have to do it overnight. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I wrote this down as we began today. Imagine if, if you were struggling with anxiety specifically depression also but anxiety specifically how many people would kind of help their anxiety if they just cut out social media and i think that's some self-awareness that we have to have because it's only been around for a small period of time with this exponential growth in this pain but i think people aren't willing to make sometimes this change for this pain that I think is, is not worth it. So sometimes we have to look ourselves in the mirror and say, are we doing everything in our power that we want to? And sometimes we don't want to, and that's where the next step would be. But if we don't want to go down that next step, I remember working with a, a young 18 year old hockey player. He was struggling with a lot of things, focus, anxiety. I said, how much time are you spending on social media? And he kind of didn't want me to go any further. And I said, if you spent zero, this would improve. You don't have to spend zero. Maybe we could go from five hours to somewhere else. So that's something to kind of look well, at. I think, I think, again, just without, as we wrap this up, but I think that's a real, I mean, that's a whole another conversation. But if you're having that stimulation, and again, it's, is, you know, Rashawn and I talk about this, you've talked about it. But, you know, what are we listening to? What are we reading? Is it really moving us forward or is it taking us down? So I think looking at how much TV are you watching, you know, Ted Lasso's back. One thing I love about Ted Lasso, the, docu- the, the series, is it's so uplifting. It's funny. It's got a great story. Or I can watch Succession, which is going to take me, <laughs> you know, in a bad spot. Ozark, so yeah. I get to choose. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm choosing some of these things and recognizing it or I'm on social media, these are things that are probably – um, obviously attributing to some of these problems. And again, it, it's, it's a skill. So if, if your habit is scrolling on social media, which is not real, I think we just have to understand that. It's information, it's content, it's entertainment, but it's not real. And so it means it's not present. And if we continue to be out in this space, whether it's back or forward, um, we're going to lose the skill of being uh, with ourselves, And so as I wrap this up, we can talk about all these things, but at the end of the day, it always comes back to, are you happy being with yourself? 
So can you, can you sit still or can you walk in nature and be uh, content with that? Can you be okay with that? And when you can, that skill is going to be enough where you can kind of handle some of these things a lot, um, you know, more resiliency. So as you, we wrap this up, how to manage anxiety and depression with lifestyle change, just start with a couple things. Understand that uh, you're not doing it alone. Create a couple new habits. And then also coming back and saying, what can I do before I go maybe that next step? Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next time. If you have any questions, any thoughts, any comments, shoot me an email at info at ontargetliving.com. We'll see you again next time.